The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And you know, it's been a really interesting path, past couple of months, I should say years. We've been doing AI Today podcast now since 2017. This is our fifth year, 250 plus episodes. And I think what's really interesting is we never run out of things to say, that's for sure. Uh, the markets keep changing. Our customers keep doing really interesting things. The world keeps evolving. That is absolutely the truth. And what we have found is that, you know, Every week we see the con- what makes us feel really good in many ways is that a lot of the content that we share with you here on the AI Today podcast, you are in turn sharing and using yourself. You know, uh, we, we just did a podcast last week on are the new AI winters approaching? It was really more of a looking at kind of the state of the market, some concerning signs about uh, the AI winter. And we thought, okay, you know, we told people, please do reach out to us. We do like hearing from our audience, right? And while we hadn't really heard much from much of you, we started seeing the things that we had talked about in our AI Winters podcast, not only quoted and used, but actually there was a conversation that we saw going on on LinkedIn about how someone actually used some of the arguments and content that we had in our AI Winters podcast or the the, are we approaching the end, which is in refuting somebody else's argument. And I think that's really, on the one hand, wow, I guess um, on the, we're, we are thrilled to be influential in your thinking and helping you understand the markets. That makes us feel really good. We know that we're influential. On the other hand, we're also like, hmm, we don't really hear much from, from you. those of you that are using our, you know, the, the stuff and the data that you hear from us in your presentations, in your feedback, in your comments. We need to hear from you because guess who we are hearing from? We're hearing from technology vendors who have stuff to sell. They literally email us every day asking to pitch their products and services to you, our listeners. And the reason why we're getting those emails is because they know how big our podcast is. We're one of the top three podcasts on the topic of AI, right? We know how influential our audience is, but are we going to sell? other people's products and services to you on this podcast? No, because that would be abusive to you, our audience, our listeners. If every week, all you heard was from some guest expert who is a vendor selling a product, why we'd look like some of the other podcasts that are out there that are clearly shilling for products and services. But the reason why we're not doing that is because we want to be valuable. And you know that we're valuable because you're quoting us. We see that we're valuable, but we are not hearing from enough of you. And it's very difficult for us to plan our direction and our future as to where we're going to go if we're only hearing from folks who have stuff to sell. So I'm telling you, and I know you're listening because I see you out there. I hear you out there. If you find what we're doing on this podcast useful, if you have ever quoted uh, something from AI Today podcast in 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 a slide deck, in an email, in a LinkedIn post, if you ever cited any of the stats that we have on any of our AI markets in an article or in some blog post or in, a, in your own pitch decks, we need to hear from you because we know that we're being valuable. If we don't hear from you, then you might find that this podcast might cater to those that we are hearing from. So I'm just putting that out there to you. And also <laughs> uh, to note that you know, we are focusing more and more on the way to do things right with AI and data. So you're going to definitely see much more of an emphasis on process and method and practice focusing on that audience. So that's a little bit of a key. And I didn't try, try not to rant too much, a little bit of method of a monologue here, but but really just want to let you know, we, we, we know what's happening out there in the market. We are keeping an eye on you, our listeners. And in some cases, very sort of pleased by the influence, and in some cases also a little dismayed <laughs> by the lack of uh, response that we're getting from some of you. Yep. 
Exactly. I mean, as Ron said, you know, our podcast has been around for many years now, and we do uh, we do love to hear from our listeners. And as Ron mentioned, we are the gatekeepers to keep out that content that we know is not going to be valuable. So please, the ones, you know, that we really want to hear from, reach out. You can go to our website at Cognolitica.com. You can email us info at Cognolitica.com. That's C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com. Now, if this is your first time on the AI Today podcast, welcome. We're so excited that you found our podcast. And if this is not your first time, then we'd like to welcome you back. And you know that we have a a big library of podcasts and content. We encourage you to listen to it and check it out. Uh, We have done a number of series. We did an AI education series where we talked about how AI was being used in various industries. We also did a very popular, uh, you know, AI failure series, and we're actually going to be revisiting that soon because that was such a popular series. And it's so important. We want to make sure that we talk about it. Many podcasts, many vendors, many people will talk about successes only. And there's just as much, if not more, to learn from failures than successes. We do not want you to be a statistic, right? That's the point of this podcast. We want to teach best practices. We want to help educate you. We want you to be better and really understand what's going on, what AI can and cannot do. Understanding the you know landscape of where things are at, which is why we did our Are We Headed Towards Another AI Winter podcast recently, because we want to be real with you and, and keep it real and say, this is what we're seeing out in the market. We want to share that with you. Are you seeing the same? That's why, you know, we really do value that feedback and that two-way dialogue, uh, which is hard to uh, to get on a podcast, which is why we do love when people reach out to us. In particular, today, we wanted to spend some time talking about the CPM AI methodology, the Cognitive Project Management for AI methodology, and really have an intro podcast on this. We talk about it a lot, but we wanted to devote some time today really talking about the methodology, why it's so important, why we're advocates for best practices methodologies, and then how you can learn more about it. Yeah, exactly. And, and that is, I think, where, where we have really seen the success of all this. Because at the end of the day, the reason why we do this AI Today podcast, as I was saying at that little monologue in the beginning, is because we do want reality in this industry. We want people doing real things and seeing real value, right? We know that there are, comp- look, at every sort of technology wave, there will be companies that sort of take advantage or opportunity and create products and services that uh, may or may not necessarily help the, the market and the industry do their thing. And they will benefit from that. And there are, of course, investors who sort of play that momentum. They know that there's only a, a window of opportunity. And you know, if AI is the hot thing or automation is the hot thing, they're going to throw their money in AI companies and automation companies. And basically, as we always say with the, the game of, of, of musical chairs, you want to get out before the music stops. Otherwise, you, you got a problem, right? But at the end of the day, the people who are really holding the bag for all this are all of you listeners who are trying to make AI work. You're not selling yourself in the stock market. You're not selling your product and service. You're implementing something. In some cases, your job success depends on this project success. Your ability to do more projects, to do more advanced things requires you to be successful. And on this note, one of the biggest statistics that we have seen with AI projects is the high rate of failure. You know, Over 80% cited by some uh, of AI projects fail. According to, you know, I can give you a couple of people who have said that, you know, Tech Republic uh, publications said 85% of AI projects eventually fail to bring their intended results to the business. You know, analyst firms like Gardner have cited things like 85% of machine logic, logic, machine learning projects fail. And, you know, other, other agencies and organizations and analyst firms and media and commentaries will basically say the same thing. But I think the, the reason that we've seen this is that there's obviously some problem going on. Is it, is it that AI as, a, as an approach, as a technology just is a failure? Well, if AI was a failure, you wouldn't see an 80% project failure rate. You'd see a 100% project failure rate because AI doesn't work. So clearly, this is sort of the really weird silver lining here on this cloud is that there are project successes. It's just that the project successes are not the majority. They're the minority, right? And so you could think about it and say, well, what are the circumstances in which these projects are succeeding? Another way to look at it is like, what are the circumstances when these AI projects are failing and not do those things, right? I think it's the uh, from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. How do you, you know, it's a whole how to learn how to fly. If you're a human, you want to learn how to fly. The answer is like, well, 
you uh, aim for the ground and you miss. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. How do you succeed? By not failing. And we think it's important to, you know, have firsthand conversations with folks out in the market, with folks that have taken our uh, methodology and certification, and then folks that haven't as well. We really want to get, uh, you know, well-rounded picture of what's going on. And what we have found is, I mean, you know, every organization maybe wants to think that they're unique, think that their data problems are unique, but in general, they're not. And it's really important to understand that because once you can accept that, you can really start to learn from others and how they're doing things and see how you can adopt that to your own organization. When you're very closed-minded and go, no, this is my problem. Nobody else has this. This is where we start to see these failures. There's also uh, real resistance from top management on this. And we have had more conversations with CDOs, chief data officers, CIOs, chief information officers, chief technology officers, then we'd like to admit that they all think it's some unique problem that they have, that their data is messed up, other organizations aren't like this, that they don't have a, you know, a good data culture on more like, oh my goodness, wow. You know, if you could just hear what what all these other people are saying, it's the exact same conversation that we're having with X, Y, or Z company. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, to, to to reinforce that, I mean, so as Kathleen as Kathleen mentioned, we just had some, so we've had a number of conversations. Actually, I, there's yeah. no point in me calling any one person out because we've had so many of these where they're like, I can't make AI work in my organization because the data is messed up, and we're like, for example, and we're like, well, first of all, join the club. Everybody's data is messed up. That's just sort of the nature of data. I mean, data is not necessarily collected in a clean way. Data is not manipulated in a clean way. If you're actually using data, it will probably be messed up because of just how active we are. It's a constantly changing thing. But their response was like, well, then I can't make AI work. And we're like, well, uh, first of all, what's your title? Chief data officer? Isn't that your responsibility as a chief data officer? If you say that you can't get control over your data, then I beg to ask you, what exactly is your job, chief officer of data, right? Uh, (laughs) It's not just to manage something that's already working. You need to be the change agent. Now, this is not a, a, a podcast about change management and being a C-level. We're not going to do that to any of you. But but the reason why I think a lot of organizations are failing is because of what Kathleen just mentioned. I mean, let her get back into it here, which is that, that it is the nature of data to be uh, unclean, to be unpredictable. And it is up to you to basically make it work and, of course, align the solution with the problem, not basically misfit uh, what you're doing. If you can, it's a little bit of a preview here. If you can address these two issues, then you will be remarkably successful and not be one of the failure statistics. But anyway, I just wanted to. Well, you know, and to go on with that too, uh, I mean, people have been managing data. Companies, organizations have had data for decades now, right? This is not a new problem. This is not something that we suddenly need to manage. Maybe we have a lot of data and we have more data than we used to, but data management problems have been around for decades. So first off, let's address that, right? And then when we have conversations with with companies and they are figuring out, you know, they're building new solutions on how to manage data, and Ron and I just scratch our heads and we go, is, it, is this the problem? Is this the problem? We need more tools to manage the data. I don't think so. Right. Yeah, exactly. This, this, this has been, um, you know, this, I think, is sort of the, the issue with the industry is that we always look to find a technology product solution to what is usually a practice or process problem, right? So this, this is, of course, getting into what we're going to talk about here, which is that if you're always like one product away from solving your problems, well, then just get the problem, get the product, and then your problem could go away. But clearly, we're still having the same problems. So it's not a product issue. It's not about, well, my data is dirty. I need to buy another product to make my data clean. Oh, you know, now my that data is dirty. Now I need to buy another one. It's sort of the... Um, uh, you know, the old expression, it's turtles all the way down, you know, so like it's that old expression, like, you know, the, the world rests on turtles, like, well, what, what are the turtles resting on? Well, other turtles, uh, it's turtles all the way down. It's like, it doesn't really explain anything. It's sort of like every time we get a new data warehouse or a new data management solution, we get another data warehouse to manage our data warehouses, or we get a new data management solution to manage the data management solutions. And then you're like, 
when does that ever end? The answer is like, well, if, if you're doing it the product way, it'll never end. It'll be turtles all the way down. You'll be like having 25 layers of databases. And, and then tomorrow you'll have a 26th layer. And 10 years from now, you'll have 126 layers. It, it, the, the solution to a lot of these problems is, of course, architecture, process, methodology that is independent of the technologies you use. But again, I keep going, jumping ahead here. So I don't want to do that. But uh, this is a pretty common problem, right? Right. And so we really wanted to frame this by saying, look, we have conversations with a lot of different people at a lot of different organizations, and we see common themes, which was originally why we put on our AI failure series, because a lot of people don't talk about this and they just go, well, AI doesn't work. And we go, well, let's break that down a little bit farther. Why isn't it working? What what exactly is your roadblock is what's tripping you up? And let's try and work to resolve that. Let's see how others have done that. Because we don't want you to be an AI failure statistic. We want you to succeed. And we have seen that when you do small things, sometimes just small things, you really can be successful. Adopting proven, successful, data-focused project management methodologies really has been a game changer for individuals so that they can understand this and then bring it into their organization so that they can run successful big data and AI projects. Because you want to think about AI projects the way that you would big data projects and not necessarily enterprise software development projects. That can trip people up. That can cause stumbling blocks. And we don't want to, we don't, we don't want you to do that. So if you follow a methodology, which is just a set of steps, then it shows you where you need to start, what you need to do, when and who and how do you bring, you know, different groups and different roles and different people on board with these projects. So once you, you know, really start to develop this intelligent data forward mindset, you will be able to succeed. You can manage your projects more successfully, and then your organization that you're at will be more successful as well. So with that, I mean, like we say all the time, we're big advocates for CPMAI, the Cognitive Project Management for AI. This is built off of CRISPDM, which I know that many folks who listen to our podcast and are in the, you know, the world of data know and understand well. But CPMAI builds upon that so that it brings in more elements of AI, that it's more agile and iterative and really sets you up for your AI project success. Yeah, and the reason why we bring up uh, Agile in particular is that uh, for those of you that have heard the term methodology and know what it means, and it's actually, again, a little surprising, especially those at C-level titles that don't have a firm foundation as to what methodology is, but we understand it's a long word, it gets complicated, but you could think of it as a sort of like, it's a, it's a, it's a method, it's, it's an approach to solving a problem. An agile methodology of all the methodologies that are related to technology and tech projects has been probably the one methodology that's really gained the most widespread adoption over the past two or so decades. And Agile itself builds on other methodologies that have been around even before that, extreme programming and Scrum and things like that. And what it really taught us was that it doesn't matter what technologies you use. You can choose any programming language. You can choose any infrastructure. You can choose even any kind of technology problem you're trying to solve. Maybe you're building a website. Maybe you're building a mobile app. Maybe you're building some internal thing. What Agile provides you is sort of that generalized approach to building those technologies in an environment of constant change, right? When things are constantly changing, we can't afford to do what is the non-Agile way, which would be what's called waterfall, where we're starting with, we'll come up with all the requirements up front, then basically build to those requirements, then basically test based on those requirements, and then deploy it. That works when you're building aircraft carriers and airplanes, because you don't want to be agilely building an airplane. <laughs> That's sort of a, not a good idea. But when you're building software that is responding to continuous changes, it is an approach. The problem is, is that we can't just take Agile and use it for data projects because even Agile starts with the idea of functionality, which is what does the system do? And in the case of AI and data projects, all of that is highly dependent on data. The data determines what the model does. The data determines how well it works. You can have two of the exact same functionality. I build a chatbot, you build a chatbot. We could even use the exact same technology. Pick your technology choice, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, whatever. We, we agree to the same technology. We may even use the same original source of data. 
The problem is if you train your conversational model one way and I train my conversational model another way, they will have completely different success. And of course, what we're looking for is not functionality. We're looking for success. So um, the key to, to uh, the CPMEI methodology, which is a best practices methodology for running AI and data projects, is itself, just like uh, Agile, doesn't come out of nowhere. It is itself based on a methodology that's been around for two, two plus decades called CRISPDM, the cross-industry standard process for data mining, uh, which was not really built for AI, but it was built for data-centric projects. So it is data-centric. That's a good plus. The problem was it's not really built for agile sprints. It doesn't, it's not that centric to the specific needs of building AI and uh, advanced data projects. So we you have to do something to it. And that Thing that you have to do something to it, that's called CPMAI, which is the Cognitive Project Management for AI methodology, which basically enhances CRISPDM with a series of things. And what we're going to do here in this podcast is we'll provide an introduction to what CPMAI is and talk about its phases and how we use those phases across agile sprints to get to a successful AI project. Yep. And as Ron mentioned, there are six phases to CPMAI. So phase one is business understanding. It's really important to start here. Some people say, well, do you start with you know your business needs or your data needs? And we say, always start with your business needs, because if you're not solving a problem, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> okay. And I people skip this step if you're not following a methodology. And we have seen this. This is part of why projects fail. Don't skip this step. Don't skip it. It's so important. People get really excited and, you know, hyped up or they're told by upper management, I heard we got to do this AI thing. And they're like, all right. And they just go and they get started and dive right in. And then they, you know, they look back and a few months later, they've wasted a lot of money, time, resources, people that could have been working on other projects uh, only to have their projects fail because they didn't really have a clear business understanding. In this phase, there's a certain set of questions that you need to be asking, and they're really fundamental questions that revolve around business requirements and pattern identification. We've talked about uh, you know, the seven patterns of AI in previous podcasts. What exactly is it that you're looking to address? And also AI-relevant staging as well. So some of the really important questions to be asking here is, what problem are we attempting to solve? And once we've identified that, should we solve this problem with an AI or cognitive technology? Or is there a different approach? Because if there's a different approach that maybe would give you better results and be a lot faster, you don't have to do AI just to do AI. We say, you know, don't, don't do that. Make sure that it's really the right solution to the problem. Then figure out what parts of the project require artificial intelligence, machine learning, and which parts don't. Because not you know, everything needs to require it. Maybe only certain parts of your project require it. That's something that you need to figure out at the beginning of your project. And then figure out what pattern or patterns of AI you're implementing. Is it going to be, you know, is if it's a chatbot, then you're going to be utilizing the conversational pattern of AI. If it's an image recognition system, then you're going to be using the recognition pattern of AI. Make sure you're figuring out what you what, which pattern or patterns you're implementing that can shortcut your way um, to project success as well. And then there's a few other you know, questions that you really just need to kind of sit down with your team and figure out you know, what skills are necessary for this project. Do you have these skills internally? Do you need to hire externally? Those are really important considerations. You don't want to get into the project only to realize a few months later you don't have the skill sets at that point in the project for project success. That's not setting you up for, for uh, anything good. <laughs> So the interesting thing about here, here's sort of where CPMAI enhances CRISPDM. So if you're familiar with CRISPDM, first of all, kudos to you, pat yourself on the back, because that is actually not a very common thing to be familiar with CRISPDM. It says, get the business requirements. The problem was that CRISP was not built in an agile way. So how would we apply agile to this? Well, the thing is, we don't actually need the whole problem. What we need to do is start with the first problem that we could solve in an agile way, which would be in a short sprint. So you might say, I need to build a chatbot. Well, that's actually not really a business requirement. The question is like, what do you really need? Oh, I need to have some conversations with customers to track packages. Okay, well, that's still pretty, pretty big. And uh, I don't even know what that means. Let's, can we start with something really small? And you start with something really small. You start with like, okay, well, we just need something to understand where is my 
package. And so that, so by answering that question in your first iteration, first of all, you could say, you could figure out, do you can you even make the technology work? Because if you can't do it for a simple question, trust me, you're not going to do it for a complicated one. Also, by limiting it to just that one question, you don't need a ton of data. And we just talked about the problem of data. If you're starting with the first problem, it's like, okay, now let's go collect a million words and a tons of corpus, and they got to spend my time data labeling, which you people always forget, and doing all this stuff, data cleansing, data preparation. The more data you have, the longer it takes to prepare, the longer it takes to label. All you're doing is you're making your problem harder and your likelihood of failure higher. So the secret to business understanding is doing it in an agile way, which is thinking about it in terms of little sprints, chop it up into smaller deliveries. And that's actually what you can do in phase one. You're going to figure out what the requirements are for that sprint, figure out what patterns of AI you're going to do, and then stage it. Think about it for I'm going to do this in iteration one, in iteration two, in iteration three. And guess what? Your likelihood of success, even now we only did phase one. We just increased your likelihood of success by a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So now that we've said, all right, what, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? We have a real business problem that we're trying to solve. Next, in phase two, we get to the data understanding. And in this phase, we're going to be addressing things like data sources, data quality. We talked about that a lot at the beginning of this podcast. We talk a lot in general about data quality and also what type of data environment are we in? So some of the fundamental questions in stage in, in this phase two that you need to be asking is what data is necessary to achieve the objectives? I'm sure at your organization, you have a lot of data. We talked about how you know organizations have tons and tons of data. Lots of it is unstructured data, which means that you know, it's it's not in nicely labeled with schema in databases. It can be emails, it can be audio files, it can be voicemails. All of these different things are unstructured data. Figure that out. Then you also need to say, you know, what is the quantity of data that we have and what's the quality of it? Just because you have a lot of data doesn't necessarily mean that it's all usable data and it's all good quality data. How can you enhance that data? Does some of it need to be thrown away? Where are these data sources? Are they internal or external? Uh, Who has access to this? You know, these are really, really some important things. And then if you are going to need to augment and enhance your data in any way, how are you going to do that? That's all these things that you need to address in this phase. And, you know, are you going to have ongoing data collection requirements? And preparation requirements, once you're collecting that data, may come in, you know, a form that you need to do some manipulation to. All of these data-related questions, you need to make sure that you're really asking and addressing in this second phase. Yeah. And because you've done the second phase after the first phase, (laughs) then by properly scaling and scoping your first phase, you make your second phase easier. Right, the harder, the bigger you 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 attempt to bite that chunk off in the first phase, the harder you make your second phase. Right, so as you can kind of see how these things become iterative, and as you do the phase two, you might be saying, "Wait a second, this is a lot more data than I might think." Well, you don't have to commit to it. You can go back to phase one. This is an iteration. Say, let's scale this thing down again, or let's say we're not going to do every package. Maybe we're only going to do certain kinds of packages. You know, maybe I'm only going to do priority mail versus parcels or something. Maybe I won't do international. Maybe I only do. You can start thinking about these things, right? Um, and that helps you again get to success because the moment you bite off too much, you might have people saying, "You can't. It doesn't work. I can't track these packages. This doesn't work." Blah blah blah. Oh my God, your AI chatbot failed, right? And it didn't really fail. It was a failure of planning and a failure of scoping and a failure of management. So assuming you've uh, properly scoped things, and one of the great things about our CPMAI, and I just want to point one other thing about CPMAI, it is a methodology. It's not a course, it's a methodology, which means that you can be certified on this methodology. And, and when you are an employer, we're telling all employers not to hire AI and data project managers unless they are certified. Be, because if you're not, you're going to get randomness. I guarantee you, because we've talked to these people and they are truly random. We've had one person who runs their AI projects using the scientific methodology which I guess is something you learn in elementary school, but that's not how you run a modern uh, AI or data science project. We have other people who say they're using Agile. We have other people who say they're using CRISPDM, but they're making up their own enhancements. They've made up their own CRISPDM plus. They made up their own Agile data thing. Guys, there is a methodology. It's been around since 2018 called CPMAI. You don't have to do that. So you can get certified- 
when you make things up, I'm air quoting here, it's not written down. It's not documented. That means that when you hire in, how are you training people on this? When somebody leaves, do they just take that knowledge with them and they go, well, I created this and I'm leaving. So it's in my head. See you later. Uh, you're running a major organization, like you're working at a major organization, running maybe some fundamental, you know, core to the company projects. And seriously, you're running it in your head. You don't have anything written down or internal groups may be running things differently. We've heard that too, that sometimes there's some internal, uh, you know, disagreement on how to run projects. This is not setting yourself up for success. So we want to point that out too. And if you're listening and going, wow, that's my organization. Don't worry. You're not alone. You're not but alone. <laughs> you need to start looking at best practices, methodologies. Exactly. And so to get yourself certified, as mentioned, we're going to try to press it upon employers that they should really only be hiring certified people. Uh, and this is, goes across the board. So uh, as mentioned, if you've been, been doing this right, um, then you should have a proper understanding of the data given the proper business understanding. Now we can deal with issues of data preparation, which is okay, great. We know that the data is not gonna be automatically in the form that we need it to. I can guarantee you that it's not. Like if your data is miraculously in the form that you are, then I don't know, you should win like some sort of Nobel prize because that's, that's very rare. So we have to transform the data. We have to clean the data. We have to manipulate data. We may have to enhance the data. We may have to create at this point in data engineering pipeline. People don't think about data engineering until after they've built their data project, which is very strange. You should be building your data engineering pipeline before you've even built your very first model. Before you even go like, oh, just let me at Python, you know, give me this auto ML tool. Let me just crank this out. And you're like, uh, at what point are you going to think about your, your data engineering pipeline? Because you need to, right? Otherwise, the thing you just built is guaranteed to either fail or be useless within a very short amount of time. It's going to decay in its reliability. If you build your data engineering pipeline first, then at least you can guarantee that the flow of data you're getting will be good for whatever the model is, whatever the iteration of your model is. That's why phase three says build your engineering pipeline first. And uh, you know the other things we take a look at is if we're using third-party data, third-party models, we have to think about how we're using them. Can we extend them? Can we do any transfer learning, or are we just have? Is it a black box where literally I'm making an API call and I'm going to use whatever the model says? That can be good, but that may not be good. Maybe one day that model will cease to exist. Maybe that model will drift in a way you don't want it to. You have no control over it. Also, in this third phase. Data preparation, this is where we need to think about data labeling. So for those of you that are not familiar with data labeling, if we need to train a machine learning model using supervised learning, something needs to tell the computer what that data represents. Otherwise, it can't learn on that. Usually, this is uh, done by humans. You know, It's very hard to do data labeling uh, automatically. It's a bit of a chicken and egg problem. So if the, if the machine could figure it out, then you would need to have the labeled data, but then you wouldn't need the data either because the machine already figured it out. So it's kind of weird. So uh, there are solutions for doing this with less human labor. There's, we talked about this in previous podcasts with synthetic data, with automated labeling solutions, but you still have to label it. The data won't come labeled. So you got to figure out a solution for that and the augmented steps. Fortunately, again, if you've scaled this problem properly, you've reduced the total amount of data you're dealing with, and you're focusing it on the right data. You're not spending your time labeling data you never use or in or data, the crazy data, right? Or you're not, or also, if you don't know how the data should be labeled, you might be spending this time doing all this labeling and later realize you've applied the wrong labels. I know. Go oh my and, gosh. Yeah. Right. I mean, think about like just from a time perspective and then from a cost perspective and from a like sanity perspective. <laughs> I mean, with all this data that you're just like labeling junk data. I mean, and I laugh because you know, listeners, some of you are doing this. Right. Let's so, yeah. let's start with a project. Let's start with our first project. We're going to label a petabyte of data. I'll be like, <laughs> oh, okay. And how much is that going to cost? Did we budget uh, for that? <laughs> Your failure rate has just gone to ninety five percent. Boom. Oh, so. This also is 
you know, another reason why we're advocates of methodology is that it shows you right there's six phases and this isn't a black box. This is saying these are the phases. Understand what's required in each phase so that when you get to that next step, you're not feeling like, wow, I need to I need to figure this out. And what do I do next? No you know what you're doing next. That's really important. Uh, you know, you don't like go on a road trip and just go, I'm just going to take highways and figure it out. And then I'm driving kind of, I need to go East. I'm just going to go East. No, you have a plan, right? So make sure that you have a plan as well. So, you know, we made sure that we're solving a business problem. And then we made sure that we understood, we had, you know, our data understanding now our data preparation. So we're getting that data prepared. That's phase three in phase four. Now we have model development. So in this phase, this means we're looking at algorithm selections at model training and at model tuning. So fundamental questions that we need to make sure we're asking in this phase uh, revolve around the performance of your model training activities, your model optimization activities, Figuring out how the data can be transformed into a model that meets the project requirements. This is really important, right? You know, we need to make sure we've laid out those project requirements and now we're, we're, we're moving towards that goal. You're also going to want to determine appropriate algorithms. What algorithm are you using? What settings? What hyperparameters do you have? Will there be ensemble models or not? Are you using third-party models? Are you extending models? These are really important questions that you need to be asking and figuring out. And then make sure that whatever it is, your model development is appropriate. Um, figure it out. This is the data modeling phase. This is phase four. You really want to make sure that you are figuring these things out, talking about them, getting the right groups involved, making sure that you have the correct skill sets that are needed to successfully manage your project. Yeah, and it's interesting. This phase four might seem like, okay, let's get out, let's crack open the data scientists and get the machine learning engineers in here. Let's just get going. And, and uh, next thing you know, you've, you've got some uh, models. Uh, but the, the interesting thing about here is actually you want to be doing as, as little iteration in model development as possible. One, because sometimes it can be expensive. If you're training your model in the cloud or using GPUs, these are not cheap resources, right? Especially if they're big models, right? It takes time not only to develop the model, but to tune the model, hyperparameter optimization, all that sort of stuff. So, so as if you can simplify that as much as possible, really, really kind of get down to what's the simplest model we can build. And you know, interestingly, even though deep learning is like, this is the hot stuff, man, deep learning, this is the reason why we're in this latest wave of uh, AI. We just talked about this in our last podcast, that deep learning is really the reason why AI has gotten so hot. It is just a form of machine learning, but deep learning is a kind of neural net that's really good for certain kinds of problems, specifically image recognition and that sort of stuff, conversational natural language processing. Yeah, it's really good at that sort of thing. But there are other approaches to machine learning that might be better suited to the problem you're solving. If I'm doing product recommendation systems, I could get away with a simple support vector machine, K nearest neighbors. You know, I could use, uh, if I'm trying to do predictive analytics, I can do some decision trees, random forests, boosted trees. Um, the thing about those approaches is that they are computationally, in many cases, simpler. That means lower cost. They're also might be easier to do, which might uh, help you figure out if the model is even useful, right? What's the purpose of going through all this model training and then realizing that the model's not that useful? So in phase four, you know, this is where it's like aligning back to phases one, two, and three. What's the business problem? What data do I have? What state is the data? And what does the model truly need to do? And that, again, will bring you to success. This, again, comes down to success, which is all about, yes, you can build any model you want. I want to say one final thing here in about phase four, and that is about proof of concepts versus pilots. If you're truly focusing on building a model that meets a business requirement, you should be thinking about them as pilots, meaning that they will be used by the people who need to use them. The idea of a proof of concept is really not a good idea. We, 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 we say that, that proof of concepts are toys, that they're not really meant to be used. It's like, yeah, you could prove a concept. That doesn't, that doesn't actually tell you if you've solved a business problem. And the only way to know if you've solved a business problem is to actually try to solve the problem. I don't know how else to say it. If you're not actually trying to solve the problem, all you're doing is you're 
you're you're you're investing what we said in previous in our AI failure series. You're doing like a research project, right? But but you're not a research. You're a you're a business well, or organization. We, you're not a research organization, yeah. right? And what we found is that when you when most organizations that we've talked to are doing a proof of concept, we call it a toy project because it's in a controlled environment. And typically the creator or somebody who's very closely aligned with this is the one who's actually in there doing all this stuff, not, you know, people out in the organization, not the end users that it's really meant for who may approach this differently, who may not be thinking about the, you know, use of it the same way, and they may do things differently. It also is probably not being used on real world data, not the way that the data is meant. You know, you've it's in this controlled environment where you've really cleaned the data. It's using a very good set of data. And then when you bring it out into the real world, it's not doing that. And there's a mismatch, right? There's a misalignment with expectations we've seen quite regularly. So if you are looking to do something, we always say, look at it as a pilot, because that's going to give you really good information and really help with this rather than doing something as a proof of concept saying, okay, it can be done as a proof of concept, which either we see never goes to the real world and it's just kind of done. And you're like, yes, I proved it's possible, but we're never going to do anything with it. Or you do something with it, um, but once you do, it goes haywire because it's, you know, can't handle the real data that's being thrown at it. Or it's, you know, the, the way that people are using it isn't the way that it was used in your proof of concept. So that we're, you know, if you can't tell by now, we really like pilots. <laughs> right. Interestingly enough, that as Kathleen mentioned, if you're truly testing your model in the real world with a pilot, it makes your the next phase much easier, which is model evaluation. Every model is a, is a machine learning model, an AI model is probabilistic, which means it never gives you guaranteed results. If you want guaranteed results, don't use machine learning, use programming or rules or some sort of if-then approach, because computers are pretty good at that too. I mean, you can just say, okay, if I want something to happen every single way, then basically I just create a flow chart and a flow and it goes this way and that way and that way. But of course, there are some problems that don't work with rules. Facial recognition, you can't write rules to do facial recognition, conversation, conversation Conversations are almost an infinite in variety. You can't write rules for that. This is why we have machine learning, right? But so that so now that we know that machine learning is probabilistic, it's not guaranteed to give results. Then when we're doing the next phase, which is let's actually see how well this model works. Of course, there's all the machine learning models. How accurate is it? How with the precision? All these sorts of things. But really, we're also saying how does it work against the real world? The stuff it's going to see. Well, if you're not testing it against the real world, you will never have an answer to that until you actually try it in the real world. And if you've built your whole project steps one through four in the assumption that you're not going to be in the real world, you're going to fail here. So you actually kind of have to do this in the real world. And according to the CPMAI methodology tells you that you got to start with the real problem because it makes phase five, which is model evaluation, impossible if you don't. So we got to do all the things I just mentioned, not just does the model work? Does it overfit or underfit in terms of its expectation of the data? But I got to take a look at like, how is it doing against real key performance indicators? If the purpose for the model, the reason why we're using AI is to uh, spend less time on something, to reduce a cost, because there's a reason why we're using a machine to do something that a human might otherwise do, right? Increase the accuracy, uh, maybe provide some response rate or some customer satisfaction. Well, in phase five, you have to measure those things. You have to start measuring it from your very first iteration. How much time did we really save? How much money did we really save? How many errors did we truly reduce? How many, whatever the measurement is. If you're not measuring that, as they said, Peter Drucker, can't manage what you don't measure, it won't work. And it's not just answering those questions, but we know, I can tell you, guaranteed, guys, models keep changing, data keeps changing. So in your phase five, you need to think about how are we going to set up a process where, by which we can monitor the model to see how well it's doing, even if it works in this first iteration. Remember that first iteration might've been really small, tracking only domestic packages and only answering a very small number of questions. But as we start getting bigger and bigger and bigger, the model might start 
you know, crapping out, <laughs> having problems. And if you don't have like a monitoring thing in place, you'll never know that. So when do you start monitoring? Right away. Think about your iteration and versioning approach because you will be iterating and you will be versioning. So this is where you introduce uh, ML ops practices and things like that. But that leads us into the next phase and the final phase of this iteration of, of the, the project. Exactly. And that's important to note. It is the final phase of this iteration, but you can have multiple and should have multiple iterations. So this is now model operationalization. In here, we're thinking about model deployment. We're thinking about model monitoring, and we're thinking about model governance. We say this I say it regularly because it's true. It's never a set it and forget it type thing, right? You're going to have to be monitoring your models and then you're going to have to be, you know, figuring out other things with them as well. So how is this model going to be used in production in my operational environments? Really important to figure out because you want to make sure that you're building it to that. Is it going to be in the cloud? Is it going to be on-prem? Is it going to be in an edge device such as a phone? Figure that out. Uh, you know, what are the requirements for data flow for the model to be useful? Also, you're going to have to figure out requirements for performance, the, uh, you know, how it's going to work in different environments. If it works in different environments or if it's not meant to be used in different environments, does it need to be connected to the internet or not? You know, wh what are all of these things that you need to be figuring out? Also, we talked, you're going to have multiple versions of your model. How are you managing that? What kind of governance rules are you putting in place? You're, you're going to have to evaluate the model and figure out how it's performing over time and when things, you know, need to happen, how things need to happen. Are you going, you know, all of this stuff needs to get managed. And then also determination of project success and iteration requirements, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, we want you to be successful, right? So you need to be thinking about all of these things. Yeah, so it's pretty amazing. I mean, even just now in this 40 some odd minutes so far of the podcast, right? And we've only been talking about our methodology now for probably like 30 of those minutes, right? Um, we've already set you up for success. It's crazy. We've never once said, well, buy this product and you'll be successful or hire this person and you'll be successful. Yes, you need great people and you need great products. So great technology. There's, there's like no substitute for building everything yourself and hiring people who don't know what they're doing. I to totally get that. But the third leg of this stool that you need to sit on the balance you is, of course, the approach, the method. And we've just set you up here. So, you know, build to the smallest iteration that solves a real problem in a real world environment with the pilot. Use your data requirements that have come from that real world requirement and minimize that set based on only needing the data for what's needed there and then figuring out the state. Then basically focus on your data preparation tasks just on those particular needs and, and, and iterate the, the data, create the data engineering pipeline so that you can keep iterating that data. And then in the fourth step, build the minimalist model that you can that solves the business problem that meets your requirements and your objectives based on what you set up. Then basically evaluate that model in its real world, in the pilot world, in not in some fancy or fanciful world, you know, in a real world. And of course, you know, if you're building this in two week sprints, you should be getting very quickly the feedback from the real world. You shouldn't be waiting two months, three months, 10 months, six months, two years, whatever it is, you know, that you're doing, you know, you shouldn't be like, uh, sorry, my friend, Andrew Ng, who spent years building a, a, a solution for doing automatic radiology imagery systems to only realize a couple of years and millions of dollars later that it doesn't actually work in the real world because the real world data is not clean. Like, dude, if you had followed CPMAI, you would have known that within a couple of weeks, <laughs> not a couple of years, maybe it wouldn't have helped you raise all that money that you did. But hey, you know, this is this is this is the reality of the situation. And we're not catering to people who are just basically building companies to raise money. We want we are catering to people who are running projects for success. So even in these 30 minutes, we've given you the tips. Now you won't be a hundred percent successful, but you won't be 80% failure rate either. So the thing about all this is that the methodology is the way. It's a way. There's certainly other methodologies. We're not saying you know this is the only way to do it, but this is a pretty dang good way of doing it, right? We And the folks who have, who have uh, implemented it, who have been certified, and we've certified hundreds, I think maybe well over a thousand now people have been certified uh, on the CPMAI methodology, and they're using CPMAI methodology in their daily practices. Now, 
you've heard this on the podcast, it might be useful to see this. So what we're doing is we are also running webinars, webinar series, introduction to CPMAI, where you can interact with us because we want to hear from you. <laughs> we want to hear from you. We want your questions. We want, you know, and, and talk about sort of like the challenges, the pitfalls, the issues that you have in your organization. But we want to hear from you project managers, the folks who are going to put this into place. All you guys selling products and services, we love you guys, but uh, we don't really want you on our intro to CPMA webinar. It's not for you. It's really for those who are implementing. Those of you who are academics, there's tons of you on uh, listening to our podcast. I, I think if you want to become a professional in this space, then you need to get yourself certified. So if you're not yet a project management professional, you can come. We will tell you that this is going to be an absolute necessary for you, for those, the people who are really going to get the most value out of this are those folks in a project management role who are running and managing projects. And we want you to come to our webinar. So go to aitoday.live slash CPMAI. That's the Cognitive Project Management for AI methodology. So I'll repeat it, aitoday.live slash CPMAI, and you will be re redirected to the very next upcoming intro to CPMAI webinar that you can register for live and you can listen to other pre-recorded, uh, well, previous ones that we had with, with people that were live at the time, right? Exactly. So you can hear all of their questions and that we did think it was important to have this on a rolling basis. So no matter when you listen to this podcast, go to aitoday.live slash CPMAI and it will bring you to the next upcoming webinar that you can register for. This is geared towards project managers because those are the folks, project management roles, you know, whether or not that's what you're actually called at your organization, the folks that are managing these projects, because they're the ones that really fundamentally need to understand this. And this methodology is going to be incredibly helpful for them. So by attending the webinar, you will be eligible to receive PDUs if you, that is something that you're interested in. And we can talk to you more about that on that podcast. You can also claim PDUs for listening to this podcast today. And for now, the if you're not familiar with a PDU, it's for folks who are certified in the project uh, PMP, the project management uh, methodology from PMI, the Project Management P uh, Inter International Organization. If you're certified in a few other things, then uh, this may not be relevant for you. But for those of you who are listening who are PMPs, uh, please do continue, Kathleen. Exactly. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. I was hoping that that would filter out people that did not know. They would go, that is not for me. But thank you for clarifying that. So for everybody that's interested in learning more about that too, please just come to the podcast we, or the webinar. We can talk about it there. We can, we can dig into it and we will give you instructions on how to claim that. And if you're looking to get credit with other organizations, reach out, let us know. Um, and we're happy to help and figure out the best way to move forward with that. But with that, we really thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to AI Today so that you can continue to get updated on all of our future episodes. As I mentioned, we will, will be revisiting our AI failure series, talking about it from that, you know, project management standpoint and how you can help avoid some common pitfalls that you see when you're running your AI and ML projects. So make sure to subscribe. Make sure to also rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. We love to hear from you. We love to um, you know, check out what what you've commented on, the episodes that have really resonated with you, and reach out to us, info at cognolytica.com. So thank you so much for listening. We hope to see you at an upcoming webinar, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more, please visit our website at cognolytica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group. And make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.